This is a Federal News Network podcast. A busy and contentious agenda on Capitol Hill doesn't mean the budget and priorities for your agency are off the table. In fact, the House Budget Committee chairwoman says she's hoping to have bills on the floor this summer. We get more now from Bloomberg Government Congress reporter Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, good to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I wanted to start with the defense budget because we have seen in the so-called skinny budget, although the White House doesn't like that term, so I use it as often as I can, a very small increase basically to cover pay raises for military personnel next year. And the Republicans haven't really countered back on that, but clearly they would want more than that since there have been larger increases pretty much the last several years. So how is that battle all shaping up and what might be the realistic outcome here? Yeah, that's going to be a really big fight in Washington, I think, for the rest of the fiscal year. Republicans have talked generally about a three to five percent increase. So you could imagine them pushing for something going from the 740 current range to the 770 to 80 billion range. But it is also important that there's a significant group of progressives that want a significant cut rather than this more or less flat budget. And people like Barbara Lee from California are saying we should cut this by 10 percent. Now, given the narrow margins that Democrats have in the House and Senate, you really kind of need a lot of Democrats and a lot of Republicans to end up agreeing on something to have it become law. Uh, So that's a really wide delta. I think Republicans probably have more momentum behind them, because if you just look at past spending deals, it's easier to get Democrats to agree with Republicans on a defense boost, then it's very hard to imagine enough Republicans in the Senate to get 60 votes on a defense decrease. But right now, it looks like there's a huge gap between the sides. And there are enough people who aren't happy with the Biden proposal. So they're going to have to really do a lot of negotiating on that. And although it's only somewhat related, we don't really know how the discussions and ideas for the 2022 authorization bill either would go then. Yeah, that's something else that is going to be the subject of debate tied into the defense budget. And also, you know, this announcement about pulling out from Afghanistan and a push again from progressives who want to see uh, and and there's some openness from Republicans to this, but who want to see an end to the 2001 and two AUMFs, uh, Authorization for Use of Military Force. So while in many cases, the Biden administration generally is pushing for a sort of back to normal approach on foreign policy and wants to take it easy after sort of a a back and forth four years under Trump, we're getting into some of the big picture fights on defense policy and foreign policy that do look like they're going to be pretty tough for the rest of the year. Yeah, the old fashioned looking fights, not some of the new ones that have come onto the scene in recent years in politics. And let's move over to the Veterans Affairs Department, because uh, you're reporting that Secretary Dennis McDonough says he's open to accounting maneuvers. Some things might be off budget. What is that all about? Yeah, this sounds at first like it's really inside baseball, but I do promise it's it's really important when you're looking at the federal budget. A few years ago, when they passed the VA Mission Act, which gives more flexibility for veterans to seek care at non-VA facilities and tried to improve VA care, they switched some money from mandatory funding, which is basically on autopilot, and you put it at a formula to meet certain goals, to discretionary, which means Congress debates it year in and year out. 
veterans' health funds are rising, especially with the greater focus on paying for them to be able to go to non-VA facilities, Democrats and some Republicans for a while have said, if we lump this in with all the other discretionary funding, this growing funding need is going to crowd out everything else and we're going to have to make cuts elsewhere. Conservative Republicans have essentially said, good, we probably should. But this is a big debate now that Dennis McDonough said, look, I'd be open to taking this off budget or switching it back to mandatory or somehow not lumping it in with all the other discretionary budget needs. And I know there are some Republicans, uh, Richard Shelby, the top Republican appropriator in the Senate, has said, you know, that kind of thing is something he could be open to, whether a budget cap exemption in past years or what have you. But this is the kind of thing that has held up budget agreements in 2019. Last year, it's been a big issue for them to negotiate through because the rising healthcare costs for veterans sort of being pitted against other things that lawmakers want to fund. We're speaking with Bloomberg government congressional reporter Jack Fitzpatrick. And of course, infrastructure is on everybody's lips. Everyone has a different definition of what qualifies as infrastructure. But finally, we're seeing a Republican counterproposal to what the Democrats have proposed rather than just outright rejection of the whole idea. What is shaping up on that side of the aisle? Yeah, we're in the very early stages, but somewhat promising early stages. Senator Shelley Moore Capito, Republican from West Virginia, who's the top Republican on the Environment and Public Works Committee, has said, look, this is just a ballpark, but something in the range of 600 to 800 billion for old school infrastructure, roads, bridges, that kind of thing is something that she thinks Republicans could get on board with. There actually was a little bit of positive reception from Democrats, including Peter DeFazio, the Transportation Infrastructure Chairman in the House, to that kind of thing. One of the pitfalls there, though, is really the problem Republicans had with Biden's two and a quarter trillion proposal was the size and scope and the fact that he wanted to pay for it with a corporate tax rate increase. If they put out this counterproposal and even get some bipartisan work on an infrastructure infrastructure bill, Democrats could pass a bipartisan piece and then just try to do another one by themselves, seeing what they could do through the budget reconciliation process in a partisan way. So there already are some critics. Lisa Murkowski has said she doesn't like the counterproposal idea. They just need to have bipartisan talks right from the beginning. There is some risk for Republicans because we don't know how many shots Democrats are going to take at this. Uh, and if Republicans want to keep the cost relatively small, it's really up to Democrats because they have the majority. So they could just keep introducing other bills to fill out everything else they want. Sure. Okay. And maybe someday a bridge will get built <laughs> if we're lucky. <laughs> Sooner or later. And just a brief item, the uh, capital security spending itself, because everyone likes the capital grounds and whether you like the occupants or not, it's a really nice part of Washington. And so the fencing and all of that gets tied in with the Capitol Hill police. What is the outlook for getting that one settled? Yeah, I know the fencing is a, a big concern locally and, and actually was a little bit politicized. Lawmakers criticizing Pelosi for having the temporary fencing up for so long. The official recommendations called for retractable fencing or temporary fencing that they could put up so that it's not always up there. But if there are emergency needs, they could go to it. 
There hasn't been a lot of talk between the House and Senate yet. There was initially a push to try to get this bill done. It looks like it would be about in the $2 billion range in April. It's now getting pushed back to May. And everything we've heard from the Senate side is that the House Democrats just haven't communicated that much on the details. So they're slow walking it a little bit compared to what we heard originally. But probably this spring, we are going to see some sort of bill with extra spending resources for capital security. And on the federal budget itself for 2022, again, the White House full proposal will come out at some point, but it's really Congress's bailiwick to pass those bills. We're hearing from the appropriations chair in the House anyway, some sort of a timetable. Yeah, they want to, uh, Rosa DeLauro, the House appropriations chair, wants to at least get the House bills to the floor by July. That's sort of making up for a slow start, although there usually is a slow start when a new administration comes in. So we waited a while on this discretionary budget proposal. We'll get one with more details sometime in the next few weeks or couple months. We really don't know yet. But at least we're at the point where the appropriators are holding their hearings. They can start working on their bills, at least conceptually. As I said, there are all these fights over what the top line numbers should be. So they've got a ways to go. But at least now we have a goal set that they could try to get bills to the floor by July, which would make it possible to potentially get something done by the September 30th deadline, although they usually don't do a good job with that. Jack Fitzpatrick is Congress reporter for Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, Since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, And they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast.
Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, led This is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.